As I was uh, preparing for this message, I was reminded of some commercials from way back when I was growing up. And uh, I just want to, we're going to just play one of those this morning. It's the Shell Answer Man. Some of you might remember that, and others of you will be amazed that we ever watch TV with this poor of picture quality. But we did all the time, and we thought it was great. So, but this is the kind of, these are the kind of quality commercials I grew up on. We had about 10 years of those commercials that ran on TV that started in about 1975 and lasted for about 10 years. And for those 10 years, um, I remember if somebody was a know-it-all, you just called them the shell answer man. Because every different commercial that came on, they had a remedy for this or that or something else. And they were trying to get you to take your car to Shell for all their maintenance and repairs and all of that. But anyway, um, this morning, um, and the reason I was going to use that commercial and the reason I thought about it is, is as I talk about the church, I don't have all the answers, um, obviously. Um, don't have all the answers, or we'd be fuller in here today. <laughs> but I, I want to just share with you a, a vision of, of what I believe we are, and I also want to remind us uh, this morning um, that we can always announce who we are, but we really are never that unless all of us as individuals are that. Um, we can say, well, Johnson Corners Wesleyan Church is like this. But if I'm part of the church and I'm not like that, then the church is really not like that. And so it really comes down to us being what we want our church to be um, as, as individuals and as a group of people together. The other thing I want to say is that we are never perfect. We have a vision, an idea of what we want to be as a church. And, of course, the New Testament gives us a view of what a church ought to be like, especially in the book of Acts. We, we never hit the mark all the way. We're never perfect. So I want to use the word journey this morning quite a bit as we talk about, you know, who we are. We are on a journey towards being something we have not quite arrived at yet. The Apostle Paul talked about that when he talked about uh, who he was, and, and he said, you know, I have not yet arrived, but I'm striving on towards the goal. And so this morning, there's going to be some things that I say, well, this is who Johnson Corners Wesleyan Church is, and you're going to say, ah, that's not me yet. And as I'm preaching, there's a lot of this that I'm going to say, ah, that's not me yet, <laughs> but that's who I should be if I'm going to be a good leader and good pastor of this church. Um, so anyway, uh, that's where I'm going this morning. And the first thing I want to say to us this morning is that of all the other things, first we want to be a people who are on a journey of being passionate about Jesus and about the Word of God. Um, Friday morning, uh, this morning was kind of exciting because I finished the last end of the one-year Bible and finished out Revelation, finished out Malachi, finished out Proverbs, and finished out uh, Psalm 150, and I get to start all over tomorrow morning. Um, but anyway, 
uh, on Friday, I came upon this passage in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And it said, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image, and they had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So this is one of those passages, uh, verses 1 through 7 of of Revelation 20, is one of the rare passages in in all the scripture that talks about that thousand-year reign of Christ. And it, it tells us that there are some believers that are brought back to life, brought back to resurrected life, um, just to reign with Christ for that thousand years, but not all believers, just some for that thousand years. And the interesting thing is that there are two criteria for being raised back to life. Uh, first, they were, they were those who were uh, killed in the tribulation period, um, but the two factors by which God judged them worthy of being brought back to life were this, their testimony for Jesus Christ, and secondly, their loyalty to the word of God. So those two things. Now, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, two different times there, and Revelation chapter 6, it recognizes those same twin factors as being critical in our lives. The early church was known for giving bold witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they were known for preaching the word of God. So, I want to say to us and remind us today that you and I are not simply religious folk. We are simply not, we're just not simply religious. We are people who love the Lord Jesus Christ in particular. We are not just believers in God. Because anyone can say they believe in God, even the demons, James says. We are people who are committed and loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. John reminds us that he is the bread of life, that he is the light of the world, that in him there is life, and apart from him there is no life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. John says he is the gate for the sheep, that he is the good shepherd, um, that he is the vine, the true vine, and apart from him you and I can do nothing. John says he is the resurrection and the life. Well, you sum up all of that, and pretty much John is telling us that if, if we don't make Jesus, if we're not passionate about Jesus, we've missed the whole mark. <laughs> um, we, we just haven't hit anything in terms of our faith. So we are people who are passionate about Jesus and passionate about the Word of God. Now, our culture will exalt just about anything over the Word of God. Um, But the Word of God stands when culture crumbles. The Word of God stands when tradition uh, crumbles. The Word of God stands when all these other things that you and I place as authorities over our lives, when those things crumble, and they crumble again and again and again. You go back through world history and you see empires that rose up and took stands against the Word of God and you just watch them crumble one right after another and yet the Word of God remains. 
Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fall, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now you just stop and think about that. Not too many of us um, want to be operated on without anesthesia. We don't want to go through a surgery and be awake for it. I happened to watch a show with Priscilla sometime this week where they were doing a surgery on somebody who couldn't have any uh, anesthesia. And so they went through surgery being awake, and it was not a good experience. Uh, We don't like that, and that's part of the reason we put other authorities in our life instead of the Word of God. Because it says here that the Word of God is a double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges us. Part of the reason we'd rather have other authorities in our life rather than the Word of God is because that's uncomfortable. We don't like surgery when we're awake. (laughs) And God does His surgery on us when we are awake. That's the purpose of the Word of God. And so you and I have to be in it for, for God to do surgery in our life and, and to penetrate into our lives. Now, not all of us are going to agree. In fact, any one of us could find something we would disagree on as we look at and interpret particular Bible verses um, and how they should be lived out. And we can lovingly debate those things. We can respect each other while we do that. But the key is not that we all agree on interpretation of everything in the Bible. The key is that we all agree that the Word of God is vital and that it is the ultimate authority for how we live out our faith. So first of all, we are a people who are passionate about Jesus and passionate about the Word of God. Secondly, we are a people who are on a journey of natural outreach holy living, and focused generosity. When I talk about natural outreach, um, natural outreach is a form of outreach and evangelism that is as natural to us as possible. I, I have been exposed to, you have been exposed to, I all kinds of evangelism and outreach programs, tactics. Uh, you know, some have been trained to go door to door. I in college, I did some door to door evangelism um, as as part of my college experience. We've done seen all kinds of different things that have been done uh, to reach out to people. But for the most part, we as as a church here at Johnson Corners, we tend to avoid rigid and programmed approaches uh, to leading people into a relationship with Christ. Uh, Oftentimes, those can be really in your face and they can be offensive. Uh, We would prefer to share our faith a lot more like you see Jesus doing that in the Gospels. The only time you watch Jesus and the only time that he's really in someone's face and that he risks being offensive is when he's dealing with religious hypocrites. 
Just read the Gospels. That's the only time you see Jesus really being in your face and offensive with people is when he's dealing with religious hypocrites. When he's dealing with outsiders that don't don't have a, a faith with Christ, he's not that way at all. And he's... He's building relationships. He's asking them questions, getting them to think about what they believe and all those kind of things, um, taking advantage of opportunities and building relationships. And then he does ask the question and give them opportunity to come to faith in him. But he doesn't do it in a rigid and a programmed approach. And so when I talk about natural outreach, you and I need to think about how we can reach people in a way that is most natural to them and to us. Um, But natural outreach also means that we practice our faith, sharing our faith, until it is natural to us. And and I can tell you, that's not, uh, I'm not at that point yet. Um, But that's where we ought to get to, is where we share our faith in a way that is natural, and we do it often enough that it becomes second nature to us. When we talk about holy living, um, people being um, on a journey of holy living, I mean that we are to be reminded that we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus. He purchased us. He bought us at the price of his own blood, and we are his servants. Um, Just as Jesus didn't leave to please himself and his own whims, Um, but he lived to please the Father and to do the Father's will. We are not to live to do our own will. We are to live to do the will of Jesus. And Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. He says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Um, and, And so he says, Our whole goal in life is to learn to please uh, the Father. Wayne Muller, who is our assistant DS and has been for quite a a number of years, was uh, the assistant to the pastor, Keith Nash, in in Mitchell for probably 15, 20 years. And then then he's probably served in our district for another 10 years. And he, in both of those positions, he has been a second chair leader. Second chair to Keith Nash and Mitchell, and then second chair to Isaac Smith, and, and this last year to Wesley Uh, Smith, um, our new DS. And he has given a couple of talks on being what it means to be a good second chair person um, that I've heard that's been really intriguing because we have a lot of churches with a lot of uh, support staff under a senior pastor and all of that. And so that was very helpful material. But he models that so well. As, As he was talking about being a second chair person, the reminder for all of us is that every one of us is a second chair person. None of us are the boss of our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are second chair. We make decisions. We live out our lives after considering the will of God first in regard to what they would have us say, in regard to what they would have us do, and how we represent them in life. So we're second chair people. We don't get to be the boss. We always, everything we do, we think about them and what they would, um, you know, if, if, if I was a second chair person, I would always be 
thinking about what would the boss want me to do in this situation. The same thing is true of you and I as a Christian. We live our lives thinking about what would God want us to do? What would Jesus want us to do here in all that we do? And then thirdly, so we um, on a journey um, of natural outreach, of um, holy living, and thirdly, of focused generosity. And I want to spend a little bit of time on that. Focused generosity means that we follow John Wesley's um, maxim to make all that we can. Money's not evil. Wealth is not evil. We make all that we can. We save all that we can so that we can give all that we can. And there is a process to that. You don't go giving away all you can before you've made anything or before you've um, taken care of the needs of your family and and saved everything. Um, But that process is there so that at the end of John Wesley's life, he was giving away 90% of everything he took in, and he was able to do that. Um, Generosity means uh, that we believe as a church in the biblical teaching of tithing, giving God 10% of your income, and then uh, in offerings, being able to give above that when you can. Uh, It means that we as a church don't... um, rely on fundraisers and pledges and auctions as a church. Uh, We simply just trust you to tithe, and we don't hound you for money. Focused generosity also means that we intend to be a giving church, that we don't want to just take the tithes and offerings that come in and do nothing more than just pay the bills and keep a pastor on hand. Um, We want to be instrumental in building God's kingdom, both here in McKinsey County in the United States and around the world. Um, There are lots of things that we cannot do at Johnson Corners that a lot of other churches can do. There are also things that God has enabled this church to do that a lot of other churches cannot do. And that can be said for every church, anywhere. But we need to recognize those things that God has enabled this church to be able to do, and then we are responsible to God for doing those things. So God has gifted us in being able to do what other churches cannot do. And one of those things that we can do is we can make a difference in Christian education for our children. Um, We can make a difference in church planting and seeing millions of people come to know Jesus through the Jesus Film Ministry uh, in uh, the lives of our missionaries that we support around the world in World Hope Relief Projects. Um, and in Bacchanal Rush Ministries, and the list goes on in terms of the the difference that we can make. Focused generosity, however, also means that we can't make a difference anywhere if we're trying to make a difference everywhere. Now, this is just common sense for every one of us in our own uh, personal finances. If you responded to every every request for money that came over the phone, And every request for money um, that you had a personal contact with, somebody walked up to you and talked to you about, and to every piece of mail that came in the mail, you would end up not helping anything anywhere. Because you would have so little resources spread so thin, you wouldn't accomplish anything. You'd help no one while you were trying to help everyone. There are simply far too many needs Um, And so, you know, one of the things that Jesus said is, the poor you will always have with you. 
Now, he wasn't telling us to ignore the poor. That's not his point at all. He was just saying, the poor you will always have with you. He was telling us to be focused. He was telling us to know what it is that we are best at doing and what is the best thing for us to do at this given time in our lives to know why we are doing it and to have a plan for getting the most bang for our buck, for our time, and for our energy as, as individuals and as a church. So focused generosity means that we will be selective as a church with whom we are generous. You can't be generous with everyone, but you'll choose who you're going to be generous with. Um, so we will be willing to say no to some things that you love. We will be willing to say no to some very worthwhile, wonderful things that we could support. But we will say no to them so that we can make a difference somewhere else. Um, so we can support some things that other people will not support. For example, Wesleyans support global partners and all of their missionaries. Now, it would be crazy for us to expect the Lutherans or the Baptists or the Assembly of God to support global partner Wesleyan missionaries, wouldn't you think? That's stupid. We would never expect them to do that for us. That's our responsibility. So, being selective, we're going to choose to support some Wesleyan missionaries um, and, and do that. But we don't support all 176 of them, or whatever the number is now, because we can, at Johnson Corner, support that many missionaries and make any difference whatsoever. <laughs> we have been supporting um, six global partner missionaries, um, but Munsells are coming home in, uh, at the end of March, and we're not going to adopt a new missionary family because, or replace them because our church supports five missionaries pretty well. Supporting six has been a bit of a struggle for us, um, keeping up with, with six and all of that. So we're going to go back and be more selectively focused and not re-adopt a new missionary, but just focus on those five missionaries and make sure that we're supportive and helpful of them. Focused generosity means that we are also well-rounded in our generosity. Um, we don't just spend all of our money on ourselves. We don't spend all of our money overseas. We don't spend all of our money in McKinsey County or in the United States or any one thing. No, we are well-rounded. Um, we also support, um, we don't just support missions, but we support relief projects like World Hope and, and water projects, clean water projects and anti-sex trafficking and all those kind of issues uh, that come up. We support local projects uh, like Bacchanal Rush Ministry and, and meeting, being generous with the needs of, of uh, Brenda Almstead. Uh, pastor Dave Almstead, our former pastor, was killed by a drunk driver. You know, his daughter lives ongoing with all kinds of pain and disabilities related to that accident. And we can't support and help everyone in that kind of need. But that's one that we have decided selectively we're going to help this person and, and continue to be there for her. And by the way, there's a brand new newsletter from her it just came this week on the bulletin board. I would encourage you to check it out. Um, we support the academy and Christian education here. We've supported church plants in Bozeman and Aurora, Colorado. Uh, but we're going to be supporting that moving 
that support next year to Fargo's Story Community Church in Fargo. Uh, we've been helping those two churches along for about five years now, uh, getting their feet on the ground and going, and now we'll be transitioning that out. So first, you and I are a people on a journey of being passionate about Jesus, passionate about the Word of God. Secondly, we are a people who are on a journey of being uh, of natural outreach, holy living, and focused generosity. Third, you and I are a people on a journey of reaching and raising up the next generation. Now, um, most of the next generation this morning is sick. <laughs> They're gone and not here today. <laughs> but um, we, we want to reach and we want to raise them up. Obviously, um, when we think of reaching and raising up the next generation, as in particular for this church, we naturally tend to think of uh, Johnson Corners Christian Academy, and that comes to the forefront of, of raising up that next generation. And for 36 years, this church um, has made a significant difference in the lives of many young people through the academy. And we will continue that. We will continue to reach and raise up the next generation by supporting the academy. But I want to say some things to us as a church regarding that. It is never right, ever right, and we must never and we cannot ever allow JCCA to become an excuse for laziness in our homes and in our church. That is not God's plan for us. It is not God's plan for your home. It's not God's plan for this church to allow the academy to become an excuse for laziness among us in regard to the mission of raising up and reaching the next generation. God commissioned the Christian home to train up their children in the way they should go. That means the home is the primary example the primary model, the primary teacher of the Christian life. You go to Deuteronomy chapter um, 6, verses 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, every one of our children um, are just like us. They have free moral will. Your responsibility is not necessarily to get them saved because you can't force that. You can't force any number of things on them. They have free moral will just like you do. Our responsibility is only to model and to teach and to train to the very best of our abilities in the way that each one of them should go. And we all know that every one of our kids are different. Very, very different. And how I raise one child, um, much to the chagrin of each of them, has to be different than how I raise another child. Because God has wired every one of them differently. 
and I've made mistakes <laughs> with every single one of my kids. But my job, my job is to try to do my best in modeling and teaching and training everyone in the way that each one of them should go. Um, God has commissioned the church to come alongside the family in that work of raising up the next generation of Christian leaders. Second Timothy talks about the raising up of Timothy to be a Christian leader. And he says in Second Timothy, I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now notice in that passage, he, Paul is trying to encourage this young pastor, Timothy, who by nature was very timid and shy. And so he's trying to encourage him, and he lays out the process for, raising, for reaching and raising up the next generation. That process started in the home with Lois and Eunice, the sincere faith of grandmother Lois and of his mother Eunice. That process started in the home, and then it was aided by the church where Paul says um, that he laid on uh, the gift of God, which is in him through the laying on of Paul's hands. So the goal for every one of our young people is to, for them to discover the gift of God that has been placed in them, and for them to learn to exercise that gift in, the, in power, in love, and self-discipline. Those three things. Now, just stop and think about exercising your spiritual gift in power. What's that refer to? In power refers to God's spirit coming along beside you, but it also refers to a sense of confidence. And where do we get confidence from? We get confidence from practical success and encouragement. We never feel very confident in doing anything until we have done it enough that we become successful at it. And so the church has to be a place where young people can explore their gifts even before they're proficient at it. Every one of us, if we are exercising our gifts, we started doing that before we were proficient at it, before we were good at it. And so we allow them to... Um, get some confidence from practical success and from the encouragement of God's people. Secondly, that we need to learn to exercise spiritual gifts and our children need to learn to exercise gifts in love. That means that when I'm exercising my spiritual gift, I have to be considerate of you. If I'm going to preach, it's not loving for me to preach till 2 o'clock because um, you have quit listening to me. A long time before that. You know, so that's not loving. So you, we have to help our young people and our children learn to exercise their gifts in a way that is loving, that considers the other people around them, allows, you know, other young people also opportunity to do things um, in that way. And then the last one is self-discipline. 
That's not something that our culture likes. But everything requires discipline. Nancy, uh, working with your knee and, and all of that. A lot of discipline that goes with that recovery of the knee. And everything, every gift that we develop in life requires some self-discipline. And so we have to deal and help our children in that context. Now, one of the things that um, I think we have to be careful of as we look at this text is that we can over-spiritualize this text and say, well, look at here. Paul says the gift of God was in Timothy by the laying on of his hands. And I don't know, I guess that doesn't apply to us. Because Paul's not here and Timothy isn't here. Well, yes, it does apply to us. Um, Paul isn't alive today, and he isn't here at Johnson Corners Wesleyan Church, but it is your duty and it is my duty to recognize the gifts that God is giving to our young people that God has given to us. It is your duty to encourage our young people in their spiritual gifts. It is your duty to bring them alongside you when you're doing something within the church. It is your duty to help them discover their gifts and even some things that they're not good at. The, the reason, the way that you and I discover um, that we, you know, what gifts we are good at is oftentimes by doing some things that we're not good at, we discover those are not our gifts. <laughs> and then we move on to finding some other things. And so we have to help our children, uh, that next generation, come along beside us and let them explore some things and figure out, okay, I'm good at this, I'm not good at that and discover those gifts. It is your duty for you to pray for them, to lay hands on them, and I'm not talking about discipline there, um, but to lay hands on them, um, upon these young people in such a way that they build up the confidence in God's ability to use them in a loving and self-disciplined manner. So, in summary... I believe that these three things are the things that really um, sum up Johnson Corners Wesleyan Church and who we are. Are we there yet? No. I think, um, and I could be wrong, but I believe that these three things are the things that most of us would agree we aspire to. This is the kind of church we want to be part of, where we're on a journey to be passionate about Jesus passion about the Word of God, which is increasingly rare in our day. But we have to be a church that's passionate about the Word of God. Secondly, we need to be a people who are on a journey of natural outreach, just naturally sharing our faith in a way that Jesus did. A journey of holy living and a journey of focused generosity. And thirdly, I believe that God wants us to be on a journey of reaching and raising up the next generation. And when we come to church, we ought to be coming to church and we ought to be looking to see what young person under the, under the age of 20 can I invest in today by making some comment or encouraging them in some way. You should never leave church without having some contact with a child and making some contrib contribution to their life. If we are going to be people who are raising up the next generation, you look around at the board members in our church and they're all saying, when can I retire? <laughs> and they can't. 
because we don't have the next generation yet. We have to build that next generation. We have to raise it up. 